Wonderful. Well, well, welcome. Thank you, everyone, for coming back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast, where we speak to some of the most inspirational, game-changing, black global leaders. And today I have with me another one. I always have one in the in the room. But today I have Jason Roberts, who is the CEO, founder of, is it Collider International? Collider, yeah. Collider, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Saying it completely wrong. Collider International, welcome. Yeah, good, good. thanks so much. Yeah, how, how are you doing? Not bad. Some really good news this week. So I'm on a bit of a, a really good, in a really good place. Yeah. But in general, you know, the journey's hard, it's tough. And I think you have to really just try and keep as flat as possible. Um, never get too high, never get too low, but get to enjoy the good times as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you say the journey, I know we're, we're kind of going straight into it deep, yeah, but when you say the, the, the journey's hard and tough, what do you mean by that? Just elaborate a bit more on that. Yeah, I mean, irrespective of any um, bias or prejudice that people experience or the backgrounds that they might have that might impact their success in the future or where or how they what their journey looks like to get successful. When you're an entrepreneur, it is difficult no matter what. You know, the hard hours that you need to work, the long hours you need to work, um, trying to keep your mental health as balanced as possible, trying to get everything done because you're wearing six or seven or eight, nine different hats. You know, one day you're CEO. For real. One day you're head of marketing. One day you're doing sales. Yeah. So all these journeys, all these difficulties that come with being an entrepreneur, they they are real and they exist and you want to try and keep as balanced as possible. So, yeah, that's what I mean. So, so how do you look after your mental health on that note? Just out of interest for me well it's interesting because someone asked me that just yesterday actually and for me it really is about finding time for yourself where your mind can just rest mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm i'm 44 now and i play golf i play a lot of golf where i can i probably play maybe two or three times a week particularly in the summer mm. when the um the sun's up early so i can go out maybe t- six o'clock in the morning play around the golf and be back at my desk by nine o'clock mm. uh to then do a full day's worth of work okay. so that allows me to just not think about Every anything morning. Not every morning, no, two or three times a week I, I okay. could do that. Okay. But the idea is that at least it keeps you, your brain isn't always switched on to work. And I think that's what happens when you're an entrepreneur or when you're in any, even any kind of high level difficult job, you're always thinking about problems. Mm. You're always trying to solve these issues. And so your brain um, doesn't switch off. No, I, I completely resonate with that, you know, because I like what you said. You mentioned that you couldn't sleep at some point, you know, and I've I've definitely have sleepless nights. I sleep yeah. for maximum five hours a night. Okay. Like, which is crazy. It's crazy to a lot of people, but it's because I'm thinking about, like, okay, I need to yeah. do this. Well, the, fun, this the funny thing is, though, for those people who can't sleep, right, there is a bit of a trick to um to help you sleep. What happens is your mind is over-processing, over-working, right? You're trying mm. to solve problems. You're trying to create ideas. Mm. You're probably thinking about a, an issue that you've got to solve. And sometimes when you try to sleep, your brain is still working. Mm. I might actually come up with a solution. How many times have you been in bed sleeping or literally you're dozing off? Always. And then your mind says, right, I've now got the idea. The, yeah, yeah. Right? What you got to do is get up and write it down. Always. Yeah. So have a bit of pen and paper, not a phone, but a pen and paper by your bed. Oh. And write it. Because when you turn your phone on, then you get alerts and you start getting distracted. And then your sleep, your brain turns on again. But with pen and paper... Write it down instead. And what happens is your brain says, I now know that the idea is safe. I know that the solution yeah, is safe, right? Yeah. And that can't go anywhere now. Yeah. And then you find it, you'd be surprised how many times you can, you fall back into a really nice sense of sleep um, because your brain feels more comfortable that the problem you're trying to solve that you're focusing on has been resolved. Do you know what I do? Which you probably think is a bit mad as well. I email myself. 
because I was I have my email as my like my to do list. Everything mm. in my calendar emails is my to do list. So I email if you see the random emails I'll say I'll be like check this or do this or I'll send the link. Say I see so a really good piece of work on yeah. LinkedIn. I'm emailing it to myself saying yeah take that like use that as inspiration. Yeah no you look I'll show you my phone after this right <laughs> and I use the notes on my um on my phone. on my phone yeah. not, not email but I get the email one and you'll be surprised just how many. Um, Little bullet points I write down. I've probably got close to maybe I'd say two hundred or so bullet points of just things that come to mind, All the things time. to do, ideas, um, and it's a really good way to you know sometimes we need to read you know we should read books and listen to other people on how to solve some of their problems because there's nothing that hasn't really been solved before or experienced mm. before, mm. and we haven't always got to go and do it ourselves for the first time. Mm, exactly. Well, on that note, yes, I want to talk about your business. Okay, why you started it, where that journey kind of began, and then we'll go back into your career a bit further, but. Talk to us about why you started Kalida International. Yeah, well, so, um, I mean, it's an interesting journey. So to give the, the why I started the platform, uh, I'll go just back a couple of years yeah. to what my experience was, right? Okay, cool. For context, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So um, I spent 23, 24 years or so within financial services. And that was 11, working in the investment banks for about 11 years. And then for about 13, 12, 13 years was in sales, almost ahead of sales in many cases, um, selling technology back to banks, Mm. Uh, asset managers, hedge funds, always within that financial services space. Mm. But when you're in sales, you've got to try and build relationships with people as best as possible. And that starts pretty much when you walk into that room. People do generally buy from people. Mm. But when you're a six foot five black male mm. and you walk into the, a room and it's full of people that don't look like you and there's mm. no representation of women, there's no one who's visibly LGBTQ+, there's no one who's a veteran or anyone who's disabled mm. or making senior decisions, what happens is there's a level of uh, unconscious and sometimes conscious bias that kicks in that basically determines the outcome of your pitch, right? You think so? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could tell you so many stories of what people think about me. So, all right, let's get some, put some context into this. Mm. I was in a bar one evening uh, near where I live, mm. and um, there I was talking to two gentlemen, both called Adam, by the way, ironically. And there was a lady who was dancing with a guy, and there was a, I think she had a bag, like a handbag and a jacket on a... Uh, on the hook underneath the bar underneath the bar mm. so I fast up myself and said hey is that your bag and you, know, you should probably pick it out because someone might, might might take it she said yeah I don't want some black gangster taking my stuff those were her exact words verbatim in in 21st century uh, in about five six weeks ago that that recent five six weeks ago yeah that recent and it was it was it was a madness but, but the point is that people have opinions of yeah. you um, and they don't even know why they have those opinions. Another quick one anecdotally to kind of give context to this. Oh. I was in a pub. Yes, there is a drinking theme here. <laughs> you have to unwind sometimes. It's fine, you like a drink. Yeah, oh, now and then. Um, but I was in a pub one day having a conversation and these, this woman was going on about Sam Smith and how much, you know, why does Sam Smith have to throw his LGBTQ plus agenda at everyone? And I said, look, you're a woman yourself. You've had to fight for your own level of equality over time. So irrespective of whether you agree with it or not, mm. this person who feels that they has to fight for their own mm. place in the world, mm. um, you know, that, that's, that's, their, that's their fight, that's their journey. Mm. I said, look, now that you've got all of the things that you want to achieve from a female perspective, mm. I said, would you swap places with me today? Would you become a six or five black man in this world today? She said, no, because all you do is stab and kill each other. Again, verbatim, those were her actual she words. Said that. Around about, it's probably about 12, maybe All 13 people around do. us. All you do is stab and kill each other. What did you say out of um, interest? And what did anyone else say? So everyone else is, is, is quiet. And, and I, I did have a reaction. I won't be going into too much, but I don't tolerate that stuff laying down at all. 
because but then there's also an opportunity for me to try to educate as well so you can react in a way that says everyone then says oh see you're doing exactly what they say you do Mm. or you can show a bit of more um decorum and maturity and try to kill them with kindness in a sense and that's probably my approach nowadays back Mm. in the day i was very very different Mm. But I tell those stories because anecdotally, when I go into sorry, when I go into those rooms to sell my products and services back in the day, mm. there was always this kind of conscious bias and unconscious bias that impacted um, my outcomes. And the best way to describe unconscious bias, really, or to experience it, is there's this there's this this, uh, this this thing that right, a, a father and son are on their way to, and this is for the audience to do as well, right? A father and son are on their way to a football match. Mm. And on their way to the football match, they're involved in a really bad accident and the father dies. Okay, the son is rushed to A&E. Now on the operating table, the surgeon walks in and says, I cannot operate on that boy. That boy is my son. Who is the surgeon? Oh yeah, I've had right? the son. So everyone's thinking about it right now, who's the surgeon? They go, oh, it's the dad. No, but the dad died. It must be the granddad or the gay dad or Mm-mm. the dad's dad's dad. Mm. Very few people see that as being the woman. It was Mm-mm. the mother. Because we all have typically an unconscious bias around mm. what we think people do mm. or what we think people can do or who they are. Mm. And so when you when you f- see the media, it's full of all negative stories around black people. When you read the Indian Standard, full of negative stories around black people. Mm. When you watch films and there's all these characters, particularly back in the day, played negatively by black, by black, by black people, mm. it fuels a conscious and sometimes unconscious bias. Mm. And so when you walk into that room, you're not a person selling a product you're a six foot five black guy selling a product with all the stereotypes all the stigmas all the tropes that you have to overcome and that's why my mom said back in the day you know jay you'll have to fight or work twice as hard to get half as far because there is the journey that you have to overcome there are the things that you have to overcome and that's why i built a business today which is really focused on giving those businesses owned by those uh, marginalized communities mm. an opportunity to get in front of the biggest companies in the world to sell their products and services I want to get onto your business a bit more, yeah. but I want to go back. Usually, I'd usually start with someone's journey at the beginning, but I feel like it makes sense to go back. With yeah, you, sure. Right. Talk to me. Going all the way back. So you said that your mum told you to work twice as hard. When did you feel like that was applied in your life? Was it from school days, university? If you went to university, when did you feel like you had to apply that? It um, from the age of uh, sixteen, fifteen, sixteen, probably fifteen actually, because I grew up in a single parent home. My dad wasn't around. Um, left when I was probably close to a couple of weeks old, really. Um, as I found out having answered on the question. Um, and how did that make you feel? Well, now it's made me a better father today, more mm. determined to get through some of the challenges that relationships can create. Mm. Um, more focused on being a better dad from father to my two daughters, That's beautiful. being a lot more present because I saw the hardship that it creates when families separate. Yeah. And that's across class, that's across race, that's across, mm. you know, you know, you generally need two parents to raise a home because mm. my mum would come home from work. It's funny her story though, but she would come home from work and let's say she got home at around half past four, right? Um, the first thing I do is like put a basin down and put some warm water in there and rub her feet for her because she would have been on her feet all day. Mm. By the time I cooked dinner sometimes and she'd go to bed around seven, she'd have to wake up at half past 11 to go and do the 12, the midnight till six shift which was making sandwiches. And so um, when I got to about 15, I worked in a bank where my mother worked in the canteen and just doing what me- uh, called a job called messengering, where you basically walk around the offices, these you know 12 floor offices, um, story buildings, sorry, and um, give out the mail, put, you know, change the water bottle, pick up letters, just messengering. But it was, I had to do that in order to make money. 
in order to help support the home. And I remember when I finished my college course, so I did that for three years. When you was, and you started that at 16? I started that, yeah, in 15. So it was during the summer, summer holidays, yeah. winter holidays, and like the Easter break. So they could call me back because they said, Jay, you're a good worker. So when, so before you, you, you continue, when you did that, yeah. I'm guessing at that age, you have a lot of friends that are out, probably playing. Yeah, yeah. How did that affect you with your friendship groups, with how you viewed yourself amongst your friends when you were the one that had to go out there working because you needed the, the money for your family? You know, it's an interesting question because I think looking back on it now, um, I, I had zero resentment for doing it. It was helping mum out. Mm. And it was my job to, to help mum out. How, mm. whatever, however that looked, whatever that looked like. So, you know, some people, some children from different walks of life, they get into criminality in order to help mum out. Um, some people go and work jobs in order to help mum out. If it means that you take the price of your living costs mm. off the home, you know, you go and do that as best as you can. And mum said, look, I, I, when I finished my college course, she said, I can't afford for you to go to university. I need you to go and work. And so um, I remember, actually, that was 1997. Um, so I'd work, I was working in the bank again in the summer. And I said to a lady who was called Judith Goodall, right, a really mm. good um, HR person, and I said, Judith, look, I'm looking for a full-time job now. I'll keep doing, I can't do this thing. You know, I need to start my summer. career, all right? Mm-hmm. I need a full-time job. That was a Thursday or Friday. Um, on the Monday, I got a call from Andrew who said, uh, and again, it's funny, I remember it because it, it, it's where my career started. And he said, um, we've got a job in accounts payable. It was paying 10 off grand. And do you want it? And I leapt at it and jumped at it. And that's where my career started. But to the question, it was about understanding that going to university for me wasn't an option. Taking a year out and a break wasn't an option. My work hard started there and then, right? Then you could apply to it the class issues and the social class issues and the racial challenges, et cetera. That became more apparent the older I got. So sometimes mm. parents speak in ways where they, you don't understand the full length of the story. Until the, you get older. Right? Until you get older. Yeah. Then you understand exactly what they're saying. Yeah. But slowly as I got older and as I matured, I began to see the areas where she said, you know, working twice as hard would, would be required. Where did you see that most? Or fir- first, so, so you you got an insight into it, yeah. but where did you I, see that? I, I won't say at what um, bank. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. name the company. Yeah, yeah I won't fine. say what bank institution, but I worked for uh, for an investment bank. Um, I think I worked for four or so over my career. So I worked for one of these organisations. Mm. And again, to be transparent, I think sometimes numbers are good to kind of give insight into what people can achieve and what they can do. Um. I was on £38,000 a year mm. for this job, where I, I for the role that I had. Again, I won't give too much away. Mm. But I was hiring people on double my income. And I'm their manager. And every year, then there's a payment, there's a pay rise cycle and a promotion cycle. Um, I was always passed, over, I was over, always overlooked, despite managing all these people. And I'm, and I'm in a global team. Um, I, had a, I was a young man managing eight people. Three in Mumbai, Crazy. two in New York, one in Glasgow, and two or three in London. Um, uh, two, yeah, two or three in London. And to be in that situation where you've hired four of those individuals and they are all almost on double your income, that's where these things become apparent. What did that do to you? Because that's that's crazy. When, mm-hmm. Like when you say it out loud, that's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. What? How did that make you feel? What impact did it have on on you? It's fire. It's fuel. Believe me, you use those things as motivation because everything I do now in my business um, comes from all the lessons I learned throughout my 23, 24 year career and all those assets, all those knowledge, bits of knowledge, all those information I acquired, mm. I utilize that now to build my own my own future. Mm. 
Mm. I'm now in control of my destiny. There's no point in spending, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours a day working for someone mm. and then being overlooked. I might as well spend that time working for myself and being in control of my own destiny. Mm. So not everyone's able to be a an entrepreneur. Mm. You require three key attributes, tenacity, persistence, and perseverance. Not everyone's got that. And so not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Some people will be stuck in a career place where they are working full-time and, you know, being happy with that. For me, it wasn't enough. Coming from a, an, an impoverished lifestyle where I had nothing, we had no money, we had no... We, we never, never went on holidays. The government paid for a holiday, actually, to... Um, Butlins? No, we went Benbon Brothers down in Margate. Oh, I yeah. that Yeah, that was like Ben and Breakfast thing that we did one time. Um, we, we had nothing. And I, not to paint the, the worst story, but we, you know, we were impoverished. We had, we had very little money at all. And so from that perspective, when you live in that lifestyle, um, you want to do better. And it motivates you to do better. And when you're not getting the rewards that you want based on the hard work, we think sometimes that hard work result, um, uh, returns like income and recognition. It does, does not. It doesn't, right? It does not. <laughs> yeah, so you eventually you learn that eventually. Yeah. And it's put me in a position today where all the information I acquired, all the information, and I guess everyone has to go through lessons sometimes where they get burnt mm, mm. in order to be stronger for the future cycles of life. And that's what's really put me to where I am today. Working with some of the biggest companies in the world, um, having some of the, the, you know some of those large organizations knocking down my door in order to work with us. So it's great to be in that position, but it comes from years of pain and sacrifice and dedication um, but and commitment though to the outcome. Mm. And the, the outcome is early retirement. I it has you. to be, right? Yeah. It can't be that we're working until we're 67 years old. No. 68 by the time the government changes it again. Yeah, no. And then you can't enjoy life. So yeah. everything for me from the beginning of my time to is for me to be able to retire early. That's the sole do, focus. Do you know what? That's It's interesting because when I talk to my parents, um, I ask them again, like, where you at? What's next? And they're like, we've done everything. Like, we've managed to retire early. Our kids are good. We're financially free. Yeah. This is what we worked hard for. And I, when, you, when you're talking back, I actually remember being a child. I don't think, I wouldn't say I grew up in poverty, but there were things that happened that I didn't notice. Yeah. Like mackerel and rice. Like every yeah. single day. Oh, <laughs> every wow. day or corned beef and rice. It was corned beef and rice to me, man. Yeah, or yeah, sardines. Yeah, mackerel. Oh, you're living. <laughs> <laughs> living. Or, or sardines or sometimes like. Hey, corned porridge. Corned porridge for breakfast and dinner. Corned porridge. Yeah. When the same porridge is there. It's like, mum, is this the same porridge on Monday? Yeah, it's yeah. Friday. Little hard so, bread. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dumpling. <laughs> You know when you fry the boiled dumpling again, you want to recycle the yeah, boiled yeah. dumpling. So all those little things I didn't notice. I was like, this is probably them stretching their money. No, but, you did, know. Right, but did you did you have to open up the toothpaste and, of di course. and dig out the toothpaste was left Every in there? Who didn't? <laughs> and 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 um, my mum used to if we threw away the, um, the cream in yeah. the bin, mum's taking it out and she's yeah. cutting that you in half. Cut it off. Yeah, exactly. And she said, you're not getting. She'll hold them ransom right. somewhere in the house. We but you see, but the funny thing is that those things though, right? Those. Those pains, those they, they actually leave an impression where you say, you know what, I don't want to have to live like that. Not to be not to <laughs> no, be for not, real. To, not to be wasteful. You don't want to be 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 stupid and not invest or but, be silly, but it makes you think about This isn't the standard of life. Yeah. No, I, I completely get it. And it's funny because the other day I had a clear out of my house and I was just throwing away stuff that I just didn't use and need. And my mum was like, I told my mum, I said, Mum, do you know what? I dashed away this and that and that. That were in decent condition, but I didn't need it. Yeah. And she was like, do you know what? I've done the same thing. I said, I said, I don't know why we've had this hoarder mindset. We, we're not hoarders, but like there's things that we hold on to just in case you need it and you don't have to buy it again 10 yeah. years later. I'll throw it away now and buy it again five years later. Yeah. <laughs> like, like personally, that's yeah. the life that I prefer to live. Personally, it sounds bad because it's not sustainable, but... Sustainability. <laughs> <laughs> 
But <laughs> it depends on what it is. Yeah. But that's the, and my mum said, you know what? Since they, so they moved from their home in Croydon to further out in the country, which is it's a drastic difference. And she said, ever since I moved here, my whole mindset's been different about okay. life and about how I live. And I, I, I kind of resonate with what you're saying. It's like, yeah, you can live that way, but yeah. you, you don't want to. Listen, you can't, it's very hard to, um, it's very hard to see what's out there when you're surrounded by 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 not by when you're surrounded by not much. Exactly. Inspiration comes from traveling, from hundred percent being accessible, being being accessible to or well, having access to conversations 100%. that are not your normal conversation. Hundred. So in my for example, my mum's Christian, right? Yeah. And I grew up in church, and what we heard was in my church. So this is about my church. Yeah. <laughs> no one got me about your church. <laughs> I know about your church, my church. There wasn't much talk around success and being career minded and achieve it was your reward is in heaven yeah right and and when you're surrounded by that sometimes you can just think that plodding along is fine because exactly. the reward isn't down here so in the same way you've got to surround yourself with the right people and you'd be exactly. surprised just how inspirational how you how inspired you can be yeah when surrounded by the right people or, or the right message a hundred like i read that is my life theme yeah it's about relationships i'm telling like i've seen more success in my life from relationships yeah like not just working hard and you're right like even with the church i grew up in church as well but my new understanding of what god wants for us is a life of abundance he wants us to live our best life here mm -hmm. he doesn't want us to suffer yeah. like and i don't think it's okay to think that that's okay to suffer but anyway that's a whole other conversation i'm gonna get back into part you and two, your, right? i know part two get get back onto you you and your journey so you had that experience in bank in investment banking where you was probably one of the only black men at some points in your career yep um because i would start early in the morning and it's really weird to say this but it was my reality and i can only talk about my reality right yeah. for example i've never been stopped by police okay right so okay. i can talk about my reality i know what my people go through yeah. but i can talk about my story yeah. my journey traveling into london morning sorry into the city in the morning at you know half past six the black people coming on the trains were often coming out of the city, right? Not going into the city. We were we had different jobs for the most part back in 1997. So think about 95, 96, 97. Mm. There wasn't much diversity in the city at all. Mm. There wasn't many black people in positions of authority. There certainly wasn't people like as execs, right? Or holding like managing director titles. There was very, very few and very little diversity in the city. So, um, you know, being on the only the only black person on the train, being the only black person on the escalator going up, these things were Those very visible things, to me. They yeah. stand out. And mm. even to this day, you know, I was at an event recently and I'm looking around thinking, there's not many of us. And so I, I tell my story and, and I try and be as, as um, approachable as possible and as transparent as possible because I think the story is relatable, mm. right? Um, everyone could be, can be be inspired by the story of hard work and having a good idea and sticking to it and sticking to your guns and being tenacious. But sometimes we are the products of our childhood. Now that can go one of two ways mm. when you think about it, right? Because you might have someone who's born in absolute fl a flamboyant lifestyle. They end up being, um, you know, drug addicts, um, living a very um, uh, risque lifestyle, mm. end up in the gutter because they had everything given to them. Mm. And then on the other hand, you've got the opposite to that. Someone who grew up with nothing, who then inspired to be something. Mm. So in some way, shape or form, we are the product of our childhood. That's mm. that's very true. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, being the only black person on the office floor, I remember there was actually one other guy in one of the offices. You just feel that way. Mm. And so you've got a decision to make. The decision is a very tough one because back in the day, there was a lot of, the, there was a lot of divisiveness amongst the race, amongst, amongst the races. Mm. How do you integrate 
when everyone's got a joke or some comedy skit to say about you, without feeling uncomfortable, how do you build a network of people um, when you're there trying to offer value and get value back, but you're not necessarily welcome in the same in the same way? Or when your upbringing says, well, we don't sit down and talk and labrish and talk gossip. That's not what we do as a people. But in actual fact, going to the pub is more than just that. Going to the pub and having a beer is actually more than that. It's about networking, building relationships. People buy from people eventually. So there are some cultural things that we have to adapt, had to had to adapt. I had to adapt in order to, um, yeah, to kind of do the things that are required. You see everyone else doing it to be successful. Interesting. Now I, I have I understand a lot of your viewpoint, but I don't fully agree with it okay. because. I think that companies also need to do better now to create inclusive spaces. It's not every day in the pub. Like, not all women or people, some people are Muslim. Mm-hmm. What they're supposed to do, force their way into the pub because they're because they're Muslim. They, they, I think it's important to create different spaces. So the pub is cool, that can still stay, but what additional things can we do to ensure people feel comfortable mm-hmm. enough to be themselves as well? But I understand looking at the patterns and the trends and saying, okay, yeah. that is something that I need to do, but companies also need to take responsibility. Well, look, people, people are humans at the end and we are built and wired a certain way. Um, so building inclusive spaces, absolutely. The office floor should be an inclusive space. Yeah. Uh, but can you adapt every social environment for everyone? Possibly not. That's quite hard to do. Instead, what you need to do is actually educate your businesses and, and your, your employees around uh, unconscious bias. If you can deal and solve the unconscious bias um, conundrum, that ultimately um, uh, unpacks affinity bias. And affinity bias is best described as um, birds of a feather flock together, yeah? So how many times do you go to an office and the black group over there, the Asian group over there, the white group over there? Because there's an affinity bias inherently in all of us. If we can defeat unconscious bias, we can ultimately defeat, defeat the affinity bias. And that then ultimately, like I say, uh, uh, ultimately, I guess, erodes away the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, imposter syndrome that, that then bias ultimately creates. So, no, I hear you. I understand with the affinity bias. I think people just need to get to know who's in front of them as well. Because I think that when... when um, Why? I think it's important. Because if you don't get to know me for who I am and build a relationship with me, then your bias is can still exist, whether, whether you take away affinity bias or not. But the way, you, the, way, the way you just put that is that you need to get to know me, that puts you at the center of the universe, right? And I don't, and I don't, I think it's gotta be, I think it's probably be the opposite. So, so I'll tell you a story. Mm. I had a, a friend of mine actually who, uh, when I was working in the city, I said, come meet me for lunch, mm. right? And we're talking about, about the efforts of where there's ignorance sometimes, or mm. we have to both give and take mm. to be, to integrate. And he had these cameras in, he had a cap on, right? Mm. And I'm in a suit cause I'm, I'm at work. And we was gonna go into a pub to get like some pub food for lunch. You know, you get like nine pound meals, that kind of thing. And he said, no, I ain't going to go in there because they won't want me in there. What's his attitude? And um, because he had cane rows, because he had a cap on. And he felt that they wouldn't want him in, him in their space, right? And then as much, they probably would have been looking at him in a certain way as well if he walked in there in that way with their bias, conscious or, un- or unconscious bias. Mm. So I was like, look, don't worry about that. Let's just go in there and have our lunch. That's what we're going to do. And really try to talk him around and just feeling comfortable with who he is and who he was and where he was at that stage in his life. And to not mm. be... But sometimes if we if we expect everyone to come to us, right, as opposed to trying to go into their spaces, then there's never going to be any integration. It's why I play I, golf. Golf is... I a, hate you. Yeah. I, 
No, I hate you. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, golf is interesting as well. You know, typically that was considered to be a very white um, sport, right? Mm, mm, mm. Like tennis. And there's certain sports that black people just didn't didn't do. Mm, but mm. that's changing. As society develops and society grows, we have to integrate. Mm, we have to, mm. and that's the only way you can get to learn each other, about each other. Mm. The only way you can get to see that, oh, you know, the stories that they say about black people on the, on the TVs aren't real, mm. right? They are doctors and pilots and entrepreneurs and CEOs and execs. Mm. We're not just these criminal, criminal um, personas that they put on TV all the time. So mm-hmm. the only way we can change the status quo of perception is to go out there and be different. We shouldn't need to have to do anything more. Um, but unfortunately, we're in a position where we can we can continue to do what we do and do and do what we do well and excel. Um, and I guess for me, the hope is that the the biases that and prejudice that we experience mm. are eroded away because of the good things that we're doing. Mm. I completely un- understand your perspective as well about integrating. And when I when I mentioned that I think people should get to know me, I wasn't talking about me, Alicia, in general. But I think there's the stigma of there's the it's the theory of getting to know who's in front of you. Mm-hmm. So you getting to know you and you getting to know who because I feel like you will understand how to work and deal with that person and how to build a relationship when you get to know who's in front of you. Yeah. If that makes sense, Ver- versus um, having that stigma or having or having yeah. a bias. But look, those, those, the funny thing, those biases they exist. And I was in I was in um, I was in Egypt doing my scuba diving course, right? And this was years ago. Mm. I went by myself, um, and. Long story short was a couple called me over to say, hey, you're by yourself, come and sit with us. We can have a, enjoy the evening, mm. you know, enjoy the the, uh, the Egyptian uh, entertainment. It was, you know, good fun. Mm. As part of the conversation, I think they were from Devon or Cornwall, mm. some of it, that part, that part of the world. Mm. Now, these people, they don't see many black people. Mm. They didn't necessarily get to speak to or integrate with or mm. talk to many black people. So mm. the only experience that they had of black people was maybe Trevor McDonald on the news at 10. Mm or some character on EastEnders. They Mm. didn't really know who we were. Mm. And I I swear on my mother's life, my grandma's grave, she asked me, is your blood red? As part of the conversation. Mm. So the only way we can change this, they have to go and educate themselves around, we're just just human as well, we're just people. Mm. And and change their systems that really cast us in a really bad negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's for them to do. That's that's those people with those biases and their opinions to, to do. But... Um, we have to meet those conversations head on and challenge those conversations and make them realise how silly the conversations are and how silly those the biases are that they hold. Mm. Um, yes, I kind of feel that. That's how I feel about, about that. But the thing is, I think there's a couple of things that I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. It's not every black or underrepresented person's responsibility to have that conversation and to defend and to say, this is who we are. Not everyone has the energy for it. <laughs> and, someone, and someone that works in DEI... It is draining mm-hmm. sometimes to re-explain this is what this means, this is what this means. But I'm I'm okay doing it because it's a journey that I'm happy to take people on. But not everyone in that position wants to do that or feels like they can they can do it. That's the first thing. Second thing as well, I think what we need to realise is that most companies in the UK have been built off white culture, right? Mm-hmm. White ways of working, white ways of thinking. There's just just like you mentioned earlier, generally. So I think if they want to generally have a space, yes, we should integrate ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if they want to ensure that they get the best out of who's there, because if I'm integrating myself, that might mean that I'm compromising myself to make sure I fit in with what, what exists. Mm-hmm. So for to, to get the best out of what who you have in the business, you companies need to take that accountability to open up doors in different ways so people feel empowered to say do you know what it's okay to speak like this it's okay for me to act to for me to add this idea and to contribute this because I won't feel judged and I feel like with investment banking I feel like you might have seen that 
less. Whereas because I work in creative and marketing and tech and th- those type of industries, I've seen the benefits of those type of spaces. So just having different ways. I remember I bought my friend, she's just twerking. Yeah. I bought her to come do a twerk class at one of my companies. I'm, I imagine that can't happen in investment banking. But that created a safe for the ladies just mm. to come together from different backgrounds and just be free. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So just doing little things to help with that inclusiveness. Yeah, look, you're right. Dear, like, um, the reason why I do what I do Mm, right, mm, and mm. built the business that I've built is because I know, as we all, many of us do, that there is bias that holds us back. And those are biases are based on people's gender. You know, we've got those, obviously, the nine protected characteristics. Yeah. And those things are designed to help to change and remove some of those biases that mm. impact people's outcomes. And I know that we are excellent as black people. We excel in all different careers, mm. that we have talent and abilities um, in actual fact, perhaps in many cases, our strength and tenacity will outshine others because we've been through so much. Mm-mm. And I've built the business that I've built in order to give people who are marginalised access to those opportunities. Mm-mm. There's not necessarily a need to conform mm. and there is definitely a need to sometimes just be strong and, and stoic and into who you are. Mm. Um, and we have to sometimes take those conversations on head on to mm. help people see how mm. ignorant their opinions are. Mm-mm-mm. And so I'm one of the voices that's able and confident with doing that and taking that conversation on. I can see. Um, because I do I do, yeah. I do, do all the time. I can, yeah. talk, I, can talk about, I can talk about my black experience. I can mm. talk about what it's been like for me. Mm. I can talk about from a career standpoint where, you know, I was the highest selling salesperson in this company that they had ever had over about six years of the business in the one particular year. I sold the most they'd ever sold and they put me in a performance improvement plan. And this is, this is there is no other reason for it other than there Your was back. something about me as a person, mm. right, me being black, mm. that they didn't like. And when we talk about playing the black card, it's not playing the black card. It's saying that my experiences walking around the city at night time trying to get a taxi, I won't get one because they think we're going to a certain place where black people mm. live, where there's mm. always crime and whatnot. Mm. We are always judged. Mm. And I take these conversations on, head on, because mm. it's a change one person at a time, the status quo. But you're completely mm. right. Mm. We shouldn't have to do that. My mm. friends say, Jay, we, you shouldn't have to have those conversations. Mm. But if we're not having those conversations whilst trying to live as as good a life as possible, trying to be as um, inspirational as possible, mm. trying to give as good a example as possible, set as good an example as possible, yeah. there are still some people who have to be told um, and have those conversations that make them feel silly. Yeah. And nah. my hope is that it changes. That woman I, told, I mentioned to, to you who said... Um, she wouldn't swap places with me because all we do is kill and stab each other or stab and kill each other. She's a teacher of seven-year-olds. That's scary. It is because ultimately you put that little black child in that classroom now. Scary. And no matter what that child does, a normal bad little youth, black, white, Asian, whatever, she's constantly going to be making this child feel inadequate. But it happens. It happens. Yeah. And, you know, there was, there was a, there was a, a psycholo- psychological test mm. recently um, where... There was t- two black children on the table along with two white kids. And the, the the people watching the two children were asked to look out for bad behaviour, right? That's what they were asked to do. They didn't know what they what they were being tracked on was their eye movement. And their eye movement, when you looked at the, at the report, they were always looking at the black kid, trying to see, is that black kid going to start causing trouble, start doing something wrong, as opposed to surveying the room. Again, because they all had this bias. So... Do I need to educate someone about that story? I feel I've got to make them exposed mm. to the the biases that they have that create the situations mm. that perpetually put us in a disadvantage. Mm. No, I I definitely agree. I definitely think having voices, by the way, is mm. important. 
you having a voice. I'm okay to have a voice. It's so important. And that analogy is so true. I remember even um when, I don't know if you've seen the one with the kids where there's a black doll and a white doll yeah. and the kids have to point to the bad doll and the good doll and they all chose the black doll, even yeah. the black kids black as well, kids, yeah. which was, that was heartbreaking for me because it made me feel like, how do you view yourself, yeah. you know, in life in general? But actually, look, um, uh, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Adichie um, talked about the... Um, the single story so well in a TED podcast, in a, a TED talk that she did. Mm. And the single story talks about if we aren't telling our own story, mm. someone else is creating our narrative for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If we aren't creating black books or black films and say, and showcasing, like Shonda Rhimes, in many cases, black people in positions of, of, of power and authority, mm. um, who is? And we've got to be in control of our own stories sometimes because that's the narrative that goes out into the world. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I mm. think... Whilst I'm happy to have those conversations around the challenges that I've experienced through people's ignorance, mm. the racism that I've, I've encountered, mm. the what my life didn't look like, um, I'm happy. I know that not everyone is built for that conversation or built to maybe try to give a good impression. And again, it's not about pandering. Mm. It's not about trying to conform. Um, it's just trying to say, "Get off my back. Let me be." Mm. Right. That's why I look at it. So with your company, right? Yes. You work with many different diverse suppliers. You yes. said you work with every type of um, supplier, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's correct. So do you equip them in any way to deal with some of these organisations that have brought them in? And do you have any kind of challenges with bringing in diverse suppliers to organisations? Yeah, so so um, we do have some partnerships with um with other small organisations that do DNI work, that do training, that help mm. businesses understand how to complete, for example, a tender. Mm. Um, so we do work with some organisations who have those capabilities. But us as a business, mm. our sole purpose is to help that small business get in front of a buyer. And, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, because if you think about it, and as someone who did sales for so long, the hardest thing for anyone to do is to actually sell something, right? And most business owners, they start up because they had a really good idea they had like a um, you know a, a solution or an issue they wanted to solve that they could solve, and so they go out and they build these great businesses, but they build this great product. But when it comes to selling that product, they have no idea where to start. So a lot of businesses close down because the the good idea they can't sell it. They don't have to pitch it. And so mm. what we do is to help them understand, is help them get access to those opportunities. Mm. Supply diversity is all about creating access to opportunities in the hope that that can change their economic outcomes. Mm. And once you begin to move and climb that ladder around from an economic standpoint, a social economic perspective, mm. your, 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 your things change, your conversations change, your 100%. access to people change, the schools mm. your kids go to change, the house you live in changes, the places you go on holiday changes, your life changes. Mm. So if we can create from that first part of that journey, access to opportunity and revenue, if we can create that perpetually, we know that if you look further down the chain, there's a lot of uh, positive outcomes and benefits that result. It's interesting because as you, as you were speaking, I don't know if anyone else listening feels like this, but when you were saying everything, I was just picturing the change in yeah. like someone's journey and how one little thing can make a big difference in how they just, they live, their, out, their output and their mindset and everything. Yeah. Well, so I mean, look, I mean, you know, a company might be, I don't know, they've got 10 people in their company, um, you know, they might turn over 250 grand a year or 300 grand a year. And, you know, everyone's been paid typically the UK average salary, mm. right? The company's just making it. But they don't know how to call 
a big corporate to say, we've got a great service. We want to, we want to pitch to you. They don't know how to bang down those doors and get past that gatekeeper. Mm. They don't know how to do a real um, cold call and program mm. or how to do some outreach. They don't have mm. to do these things because they just know how to sell a product, how to build a product, sorry. Mm. If we can get those individuals into a room where the buyer says, look, we want to buy the best of black, the best of mm. LGBTQ community, the best of those mm. who are disabled, the best of women, and we've got a 150 grand contract here, that changes the lifestyle of all those, all those individuals. Mm. Suddenly paying... You know, the mortgage or paying the council tax or the, you know, that school trip that your child went to go to, they can go to now and have those different experiences. Mm. All the way, it all starts with revenue generation. Mm. And for us, whilst we probably will do more in the future mm. around how to pitch differently or how to uh, write a, a tender and all those kind of softer skills, let's say, mm. we focus on the sales process, mm. how to sell, how to close a deal. You help them with how to close a deal. Yeah, we do a lot, we do a lot of um, webinars and um, and Zoom calls. And and, how to pitch. Um, yeah, so for example, the latest one we did was, was The Art of Closing. And The Art of Closing talks around what's the best way to close a deal. How, okay. how is that? Don't sell. Stop selling. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. It's really simple. And people, your, your, your viewers can, can do it with their next conversation with someone, right? So I'm not having, I'm not having a good day today. Oh, what do you mean? It's such a simple question. Let's practice it. The what do you mean? Or, okay, so how's it, how's it going today? How, how's your week been so far? It's been fantastic. How do you mean? It was great. The sun's been great. Work's been going great. Went to the gym every day. Fantastic. You had, you had a good time. How, yeah. but, uh, what, what else? See, but that was a closed question. You had a good time, right? Yeah. But the how do you mean or how was it was open? So when you ask open questions from a buying perspective, mm. we're looking to buy a marketing program. Mm. Okay, um, and what is it, you, you know, the question would be, so who are you trying to reach? Who are you trying to target? Mm. Why is that? They say, well, we've, we've actually got a new product launching. Okay, why are you launching a new product? This product, it will be designed to do these. And what's the outcome going to be to your business if you do that successfully? Mm. Suddenly you get all the answers to the questions mm. that you no longer have to pitch because mm. they've given you the answers. Mm. And all you now do, do is go back and say, right, we're going to build a program for you that does these tick boxes, these mm. things. Mm. Um, and you're answering, the question, you're answering their questions with their own answers. Mm. And then it just becomes really just down to, a, you know, do, they like, do, do people like each other? Because people do buy from people. Mm. But um, it comes down to then a price negotiation. And the biggest thing, actually, perhaps for those of your viewers who are listening and trying to work on whether they're going for an interview mm. or they're pitching for a bit of business, mm. it's the um, the anxiety close. And the anxiety close is focused on, um, let's say you have an interview, mm. right? Um, so you're wrapping up, you've just closed off the, uh, you know, you close your laptop or your, your notepad. Mm. You say to the person, is there anything I've said today that you don't understand or maybe you need me to explain, expand on? Because ultimately... When you leave that room, any unanswered questions that are on that person's mind, you now no longer have a chance to answer it. Mm. They will only leave with those doubts. Mm. So I always ask that question, whether I'm selling or, or when I was in, um, being hired, mm. is there anything I have not, I've said that you don't understand? Mm. Is there anything that you need me to follow up on? Mm. Is there anything that you are unsure about that I need to solve right now mm. before I leave this room? Because I ain't leaving this room without knowing um, if I'm going to get through to the next stage. And so that those pro, those two things, the consultative sales approach and the anxiety close, are two really useful tools that those who are looking for jobs or starting a business and selling mm. should try to put in their arsenal. I mean, to be honest with you, when you're saying the anxiety close, that's how I got on my first jobs out, out of uni when yeah. when I definitely wasn't being hired over the for a phone, and I can tell they're like, "Yeah, we'll get back to you." I was like, "No, tell me what you think of me now. Yeah. Like, what do you think of me?" And that 
alone told me to tell him to come inside the next day. He's like, come next day. You know, I like that approach. And then, and that was a sales job actually. So yeah. maybe that, <laughs> maybe that interlinked with it, but I completely agree with you. Yeah, it, it like, works. It does work. And um, it's a very soft skill. Yeah. And unfortunately, people often go into a sales job, for example, and they always try to say, well, we're the best at this. Mm. And our water's the coldest and all this kind of stuff. And people say, well, have you asked if they're thirsty? Maybe they want an alcoholic drink. Maybe they want a hot tea. Mm. You know, you selling water might not be the right product for that mm. buyer. So stop selling what you've got. Mm. Ask what does someone need. Mm. Have you ever had situations where you've questioned and you thought, I can't actually help them based on their question? Or do you always find a solution? No, you walk away. You can't be right for everyone. Okay. You know, you have to walk away when you're not quite right. Um, mm. I had an inquiry today online, actually, where the person was trying to find out what our pricing is for our mm. products. Mm. I said, look, happy to have the conversation with you. Mm. Um, what's your company? And we can and we'll set up a discovery conversation. Mm. And the individual behind the chat box on the tool, or not on our site, um, wouldn't disclose who they are, but just wanted to know what our pricing is. And well, well, we won't discuss pricing until you're prepared to trust us and know that we're not going to be reaching out to you every minute now with a sales call. And if you can't trust us, then we're happy to walk away. It doesn't matter to us. We'll, you know, we have to take that approach. If we don't teach our buyers today how to react with small businesses, how to act with small businesses, then who are they going to learn from? Don't pay me in 60 days. I need a 30-day invoice because cash flow is key for a small business. Mm. We have to represent the problems and challenges that small businesses have mm. and help them overcome those by being the first port of call mm. to representation of those small businesses to these corporates. So why don't you put your prices forward to, um, is, is, was that to the supplier to come To the buyer. Board? To so, the buyer, yeah, yeah why? So, so, it, so to the, it's transparent to the suppliers. Um, it's all passed on, on the site. We charge £47 a month for our corporate membership, for our supplier membership, where they get access to all these different commercial opportunities. Really? Right? Just £47 a month. So it's very cheap, it's economical, and it helps small businesses be successful. That's fantastic. Right. But to order to in order to curate thousands of suppliers in our platform and build a platform, mm. that's time and effort and skill. And there's a price for that because it's time is the is the is the asset. If what we do is we take that process down mm. of finding a diverse supplier. So mm. for your audience, just to be clear, a diverse supplier is a business which is 51%, at least 51% owned by a one of six groups. Ethnic minorities, women-owned businesses, LGBTQ+, veterans, disabled, and those who are neurodivergent. Mm. And our corporate partners want to buy more services and products from those individuals. Mm. But it, they can't find them because we take our pictures off our website, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, we, uh, we don't advertise and splash who we are. Mm. And we think that if we put our gender or sexuality on a website, a buyer may say, don't really want to work with that person because of conscious bias. Mm. So from that perspective... Um, in order to collect, create, collect all that data, there's an effort that goes into it. Mm. And so we have a, a rate card that we disclose to our co corporate partners at the point of inquiry. Does it vary at all, the no, rate the card? No, the price is the price. But we will, we will negotiate. I mean, there's always going to be a negotiation. Okay. Um, so there's two reasons for that. The person who's doing the buy-in, they always have to be able to demonstrate that they are negotiating and that they negotiate and got the best deal possible for their organisation. So they want to look like they won and got a deal. People want to, people love getting deals. If you chase every penny and become harder as you're not changing, changing your price, you lose so much opportunities and so many deals because you're busy following the currency right now as opposed to um, the story that comes out afterwards, the press release that happens afterwards, mm. the fact that that person will tell their friend and tell their friend and tell their friend, suddenly mm. you've got six people coming towards you. I said to you just earlier... Mm that um, someone gave me a call and representing five large organisations mm. um, that they want to have a conversation with me about 
us providing our service to these five organisations mm. and they said at the end of the conversation, um, we want you to give us an enterprise deal. Mm. So if I was to say, well, no, price is the price, then I'm going to lose five brand new, big, massive clients mm. and revenue. And that's really looking at it. It's very, it's very narrow minded. Mm. Business is about negotiation. So in regards to your opinion, I want to get your opinion on soft sales, soft sales versus hard sales. Because I have this debate sometimes with my manager, okay. um, my director, sorry. Um, and I'm a soft sales girl. Like I can't do hard, not can't, can't do, I feel uncomfortable doing hard mm. sales. Do you think that one is better than the other or more effective than the other? Um, do you have a pre preference and mm. approach? Just, just get an understanding. Yeah, yeah. So um, with sales, sales people have to be chameleons. You have to have many tools in your box to pull out at the right time mm. to help you close a deal. It could be a discount. It could be asking more questions. How you structure a deal. There's all these mm. different things. Mm. But from a sales perspective, there's also a culture that you'll take into account. Mm. In the US, the sales culture is so aggressive. Really? Oh my God. It's like, it's very, very different over here where we don't want to be sold to, right? Over here from an English cultural perspective. Uh, in the US, if you're not trying to close that deal there and then, you're not selling. So it's very different. I went to, yeah, I was in New York just a few weeks ago. And um, my wife and I went to, um, we bought past an antique shop. And I like to collect um, snuff bottles, mm. right? I've got a don't know, small, small collection, but. What's a snuff bottle? So back in the day, people used to, uh, used to like chew on and sniff this thing called snuff, which is basically like a tobacco. Snuzz? Huh? Sniff. It's it snuzz that you put underneath your lip? No, 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 no. They, they, they sniff it. Sniff tobacco? Yeah, it's like a powdered down tobacco. <laughs> Right. Never um, heard of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't try that at home, please. No, please don't. Uh, to be clear. Um, so it's, yeah, it's called it's, it's called snuff, and there's mm. nice little bottles, uh, Oriental bottles, mm. um, very nice antique little things. And I quite like the bottles that mm. I collect. Um, and I, I said uh, to the guy, "Look, I'm literally just having a look." He says, "No, come inside. I'm going to show you the biggest collection of snuff bottles you've ever seen in your life." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, he's already got me in there now." So I went inside with him, and I said again, "Look, I'm just having a look." He says, "No." Don't just come and have a look. We're gonna have to, we're, we're gonna do business. <laughs> I'm like, so that's my really bad American wow. accent, right? And it was really quite forceful. And in the end, I said to my wife, "Baby, you got to get me out of here." <laughs> like this guy's trying to tell me I don't want to buy anything because he wouldn't let go. No matter how many times I said, "Look, I'm not really interested." Like I was literally having a look. He said, "Oh, you know, well, you know, the first customer is meant to be the best, the best like send the luck for the rest of the day," and was kept on putting all this pressure. We don't do, they don't work that way over here in the UK and particularly in Europe. Very different mm. cultures. So mm. to your question, um, cultures are sometimes breed. You've got to be able to match your energy with the culture to get the right outcome you want. Mm. If you walk into any room with the wrong energy, mm. whether you be up or down, you're going to get a different outcome. Mm. So if you can match energy, um, in this case, the sales energy, you'd be surprised what's, how much more success you can have if you're matching the room. Know your audience, that's what they say. That makes sense. And do you know what? I teach that in my workshops as well, understanding your audience. Yeah. Who are they? Do you, are they yeah. do straight to the point? The storytellers, like, which one are they? Um, that makes complete sense. So, okay. So in regards to the type of supplier, so for those that are listening that, that might think, oh, I want to sign up as a supplier, as a diverse supplier. Um, I know you said you work with every type of supplier. Just for yeah. clarity, though, what what's the common types of suppliers that you might come across? Yeah, so uh, you must be a limited company, registered on company's house. Okay. And that's the minimum requirement. You know, uh, our buyers um, uh, are all across all walks of life. John Lewis, our clients, uh, Allianz, the largest um, insurance firm in the world, 
I think they're ranked 35th or 34th in the Forbes list of biggest companies. We've got um, Comedy Building Society, TK Maxx, G4S. That's just some big, so big, those are some big, big clients. Yeah. What, what type of suppliers do they usually work with? Well, they're looking for everything. Everything. They're looking for everything. So okay. you know, wherever you might you might be, you might do floral arrangements, mm. right? And they might say, in actual fact, we've got fifty grand to do floral arrangements for the year in these two offices. Mm. It could be anything. Mm. It's it's you know, it's not the suppliers who make little bracelets for themselves, mm -mm. right? Or send them on, sell on the market stall. That's mm. not necessarily the type of supplier. We're talking B two B, not B two C um, um, suppliers. Oh. So if you are a B two B provider of a product or service that's what we're made, we're made for if you're a b2c supplier then it's, then it's not right for us because the consumer is a person in b2c okay and, and that consumer doesn't get access to the kind of platform to buy bangles got you instead got you. a corporate will have a contract for 50 100 look last year we published 600 billion pounds of opportunity because we get both public and private sector tenders on the platform that's amazing so, and, 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 the, and we can pitch for them pitch for anyone you want yeah and then, and you just support us with the pitching, not the writing bit. That's right. Not just, yeah. Just, so we give you access to where the opportunity exists. So That's amazing. Yeah. It, the idea is, I always felt as a salesperson, I was making 30, 40, 50 calls a day, mm. right? About 12,000 calls a year mm. in order to get access to the opportunities. And I always, you always miss it. You're in sales. You always miss the opportunity. You always call too late. Mm. You always, you call too early and the, and the deal's mm. not alive yet. Mm. And I said, actually, fact, I want to stop missing these deals that we could be really good for. Mm. I said, if there was a way to alert me to an opportunity mm. that this bank or that um, law firm or whatever it is, is, this know, is live. This is amazing. Yeah. I feel like we need to, Black Create Connect team, where we're signing up, we're signing up because we need to make sure we're, like, we're there in the midst of look, the biggest, Look, the biggest thing, the biggest thing for us, and, and it's about getting access to the room. Mm. And there's so many things that, um, there's so many reasons why we often don't go into that room mm. um, for our own, like I say, imposter syndrome, mm. our own doubts. Um, but we can't change the outcome of our own lives mm. if we don't get a seat at the table. Mm. And what we do as a business, as a platform, is to provide that table, to provide that seat, to provide that stool, that mm. position, that mm. opportunity to say, actually, here's who we are. Mm. Will you want to have a conversation? Mm. And the great thing is, you know, speaking to the, my, my, some of my clients today, um, there's a lot of activity coming onto the platform in the next couple of days and weeks. Mm. They want to put it this way, and Unilever, for example, are not a client of ours, mm. but Unilever, for example, um, committed to spending two billion euros per year mm. for five years with diverse owned businesses. Mm. So this is about access to opportunity. You, you won't win the deal because you're black or because you're female or because you're disabled, mm. but will you get an opportunity to say, look, have at least have a look at us. Mm, Absolutely. Mm. And that, that's still something. That's still something. That, that's, that's one we don't, it's more than we had before. Because yeah. before, you go into the room and they don't see you as equal. Yeah, exactly. And therefore, you're there just filling a space and it's yeah. like, right, wait till the brethren who comes, who went to Oxford comes in instead yeah, and we'll yeah, buy yeah. from him instead. Exactly, um, exactly. And that's what, that's what it's been like before. But now, what we've created in the kind of platform is access irrespective of the diversity of the individual. Yeah, um, And it's, it's really powerful. That's amazing. It's really changing the game. But shout out to you. Thank you very much. I like to clap for people when things are, you know, due. But honestly, thank you for creating this platform. I know that there's probably going to be a lot of businesses, especially within my community, that are going to sign up for it. Um, I can share it within my group as well sure. and within our newsletters. For there's a lot of business owners, so hopefully you get some more black 
suppliers coming to yeah. use a platform, which would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any final words? I always like guests to say like some final words of like either inspiration, encouragement, or you might want to pitch something. Who knows? Yeah, no, never pitch. Okay? <laughs> First, never ever pitch. Look, I think it's great that you've got this platform and your audience who you try to inspire and create a conversation. Yeah. Um, and I hope that what I've said has been in some way relatable or inspirational. I think a lot of us come from um, good backgrounds, right? Not all where, all where everyone comes from a poverty, an impoverished background. We come from good backgrounds. But life sometimes just means life is made more difficult for us because of the color of our skin, because mm. of our, our genders. Mm. And um, the most important thing I can say to everyone listening is own who you are, mm. own your identity, mm. be proud of who you are, and don't let nothing stop you. At that point, mm. you're almost undefeated, you're unstoppable, right? You can't be stopped then because it's down to you. Mm. If you say you can't, you certainly won't. And that's a really mm. true saying. If you can, you say you can, you'll find a way to do so. And so believe in yourself and um, yeah, just you know, reach out to me, happy to connect with anyone who wants to connect, build that network mm. and surround yourself with people who are like-minded. You hundred. don't find people playing football who are into rugby. You know, hundred, hundred, it's, you have yeah. to be around the same people. Mm. And that mindset, abundance mindset, the opportunities mm. are out there are endless. Mm. Create opportunity, network. It's not easy. Mm. If you want to retire early and have a nice lifestyle and not only work four hours a day, mm. won't work. It's not for you. Go and get a day job. Mm. But for those business owners, those who are entrepreneurs, those who are really fighting for, uh, to make the changes of it, people whose lives they impact, mm. their employees, that they hire to give those children and those employees, their staff, Mm. opportunity. You know, it really is about fighting hard and, as I say, be tenacious, have persist, be perseverant and show persistence. As the ladies will say, per, the (laughs) men then will say, what what will guys say? Yeah. <laughs> Man, don't, you, tell, you say nothing. Guys don't say nothing. No, just, yeah, you mm, say nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might get a nod. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. a nod, but girls have. Oh, period. You know, I've had a nod, though. The black nod is such a powerful tool in the city. Yeah. No, it's weird because <laughs> we, we know what the everyone nod is. knows black nod. You walk past a brother and he's like, Yeah, hello. It's because you know what yeah, we've yeah. gone through. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that black nod. Like, you're still hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. You got this. Yeah. It's fantastic. But honestly, it's been really great speaking with you. You're very charismatic, very knowledgeable and transparent which is key for just learning as well and you shared so much about your business which I'm so grateful for so thank you thank you very much for having me great for you no worries and listeners watchers please share this with anyone that you think is going to be useful to anyone who you think needs to know a bit more about um, about Kalina's international sorry if I'm saying it wrong again (laughs) (laughs) I'm so bad with pronunciations all my listeners my listeners know that but I'm trying my very best but thank you for listening watching share this episode and thank you for yeah for always working with black create connect see you soon thank you thank you bye